Amen. Children's Church, you are dismissed pre-K through third grade. Come on, you can clap. So proud of you. You started doing it all on your own there for a second. Feel my babies are growing up. Listen, guys, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. By the way, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brother Marcus. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You know, today what I want to talk about for just a moment as you turn to the book of Ephesians and, and um, is this idea, I want to talk about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus, what we have in Christ. You know, every year I always have goals for myself personally. I've got goals for our church family and, uh, and uh, you know, this time of year people make New Year's resolutions, right? I'm all about it. New Year's resolutions. Now, raise your hand real quick if you've got a New Year's resolution this year, like most of us do. Raise your hand, and there's quite a few liars. And so, but yeah, New Year's resolutions. And, and I think that's a good thing, but, but here's the bad news. Look at this slide right here. Uh, this next slide right here says 8%, only 8% of us are actually going to keep our resolutions. 8%. That means 92% of you are lying to yourself. Amen. Just the, that's the good news. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Happy New Year, okay? Uh, it's kind of depressing and a little bit annoying, but the truth is what you need this morning is a little bit of just old-fashioned rebellion. Not I mean rebelling against God, but you need to rebel against how culture or how you see yourself in culture, in society, and in the world, and the label and the image and the identity that culture and society and the world wants to put on you as an, an individual. We don't really just need resolutions. We need a revolution, and we need some just good old-fashioned rebellion uh, against the things of this world. Now, is it just me? I'm just being trying to be transparent this morning. I recognize that looking back on my life, I've wasted some time trying to be like somebody else. You ever done that? Trying to fit in, right? whether it's elementary or junior high or high school, right? I mean, you, even the way we look. I mean, if you're in my age category, how about that mullet? Amen? You didn't invent that haircut. You saw somebody. You thought, man, right? Business in the front, party in the back. I'm all about it. And you grew up that mullet. You probably feathered that bad boy. I don't know what you did with your mullet. And now all we can do is get a skullet. Amen? That's what happens when you do the mullet. And uh, what about you ladies? Some of you, again, kind of my age range, right? When that hair, you know, closer to heaven, closer to God. Is that the expression? Right? You, you killed our ozone layer. Amen? By yourself. Because you were following a trend. And what about like in the mid-2000s? Remember, and some of y'all are still rocking this bad boy. Remember when all the guys got the bowl haircuts? And the boys would get it and they would feather it like right over their eyes. It would go like this. And so anytime you was talking to a teenager there for like three or four years, they're going, hey man, how's it going? You doing all right? Because they're trying to get the hair out of their... Hey, hey, hey. I kept like, what? We're going over here? What are we doing, big guy? And then at one point, I can remember uh, when they started like flipping it up on the ends. So they're like this, and then they'd have the flippity-doos. You know what I'm talking about? And flipping up on the ends. Listen, we've all been susceptible to following trends and things like that. Many times we do things thinking that we need to, uh, to fit in, to conform. But God's Word tells us not to conform to this world, right? But to be transformed, to be changed uh, by Christ and by the 
Word of God. Now, maybe for you, it's not really a trend. Maybe it's an image kind of thing. Uh, maybe you see it on social media, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or some social media, and there's something that you're wanting to identify with. And what I've realized as we go into this new decade, and it is a new decade, I don't care what Andrew says, it's a new decade. And as we go to this new year, there's some things that we need to leave behind. But what I've noticed, looking around, just at culture, many of us don't know who we really are. We don't. What I'm saying, I mean, yes, you've got a social security card, and you've got your driver's license or an ID, and you think you know, I know who I am. Not really. Uh, it doesn't really mean that we really know who we are. So I thought we'd kick off this first official Sunday of 2020. Uh, by the way, in between the services I shared with some of y'all, I'm upset about 2020. Where is my flying car? Amen? When I was a kid growing up, oh, by the year 2000, we're going to be living like the Jetsons. I am disappointed somebody get to work on my flying car and get it in my driveway by the end of the week. Amen? But that has nothing to do with this sermon. What we're going to look at this morning is one of the most enthusiastic, energetic, I'm calling it an email. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And it was this letter written by Paul, this guy who had a total transformation, a radical change in his life. And so the book of Ephesians tells us as believers exactly who we are. So if you're here this morning, you claim the name of Christ, this is for you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that you're saved or anything like that, I want you to listen up too because this is who we are and who God has called us to be. You're going to see that our identity that we should own and understand isn't the identity that the world wants to put on us or culture or society that God has a plan for our life. So who are you really? Do you really know who you are? Don't let some group tell you who you are. Don't let some fashion trend or something tell you who you are. Don't let culture dictate who you are. But the book of Ephesians is going to teach us this. Write this down. That our identity is found in the Trinity. Our identity, who we are, is rooted in the triune nature of God. Now, you may be going, well, what's the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. And it's a difficult thing for us to wrap our little pea-sized brains around this idea of the Trinity. But we find it in Scripture. It's a truth that's revealed to us in God's Word. And, but we'll never fully understand that. But again, the Apostle Paul, uh, this, guy, this author of this email, the book of Ephesians, this author, he had a major rebellion in his life. And when he met Jesus, he turned around from who he was. He was murdering Christians killing Christians, persecuting Christians, and he completely changed from who he was and who everybody in his life expected him to be. Uh, Pharisees among the Pharisees, right? He had the educational equivalent of a triple doctorate. He, had, he was a number one guy. He was going to be a big shot in the religious and spiritual life in the nation of Israel, and he's out there whooping these Christians. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus changed his life, and when Jesus got a hold of him, he completely rebelled against all the expectations that everybody else had on his life. Now, this same Apostle Paul, greatest church planner who ever lived, greatest missionary who ever lived, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And, that, and if you look at when Paul writes, here's how, what you need to understand. Paul always begins with facts. He, he begins with doctrine, and then he gets to the application. 
So it's always, with Paul, it's always doctrine and then the so what, right? Okay, so all this is true, and so what? So this morning, we're going to be dealing with the facts from the Apostle Paul about who we are in Christ. So look in your Bible at Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Paul opens up, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, right out, it jumps out. He's, he's talking to the believers in Ephesus, and he calls them a saint. Did you know that you're a saint this morning if you're a believer in Christ? You're a saint. I mean, you don't look like one. I can see you. But you are. You're a saint. Matter of fact, look to your neighbor to your right and say, good morning, saint. Now, look to your neighbor to the left and say, you're not one. I just want to say you're still going to be friends at the end of the service. Amen. You said, I'm not a saint. Man. You, just, you, write, you walk home. Amen. Listen, Ephesus was a very prosperous situation and, and, and all of that, but uh, Paul has a word for the church in Ephesus. Skip down to verse number 4. The Apostle, again, this is going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant this morning. Verse 4 said, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This verse tells us that God chose us. He chose me. He chose you. That's wonderful. That's a blessing. That's good, good news. And when did God choose you? Before the foundations of the world. Before God created anything, he already had you on his heart and on his mind. Charles Spurgeon said that, uh, uh, he said, uh, God must have chosen me before I was born because he wouldn't have chose me afterwards. And I think some of you could say amen to that. Let's try it on count of three. Say amen. One, two, three. Amen. We're going to get started right. And so this scripture says we're chosen in him. Now let me, let me explain something to you, and I'm not going to have time to go super in depth with this this morning, but when you see something like this, this is not God saying I have predestined some for heaven and I've predestined others for hell, right? Like just a minute ago, you said, good morning, saint. Then you looked at the left and you said, but you ain't, amen? God did not do that. God had, did not pre-choose somebody for heaven and somebody for hell. God's word is absolutely clear about this. Look at this next slide. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. That's not true. I'll close my Bible and quit preaching. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Why? Look at this next slide. Jesus died for everybody. Everybody? Yes. The people on your right and the people on your left. Look at 1 John 2, verse 2 in your notes. It says, he himself is the propitiation. Fancy word. It means payment. He himself is the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When Jesus died, he died for the sins of the whole world. Everybody. Listen, it's applied to those who trust him as Lord and Savior. The blood of Jesus, the payment is applied to those who trust him, but it's available for everyone in the whole world. Why is that? Look at this next slide. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants all people saved. How do I know that? Because that's what God said. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires how many men? All men. Ladies, you're out. No, I'm kidding. You know that includes you too. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What does God want? He wants all men everywhere to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God's word says, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. What does God want? Everyone to come to repentance and trust Christ. So God wants all people saved. Jesus died for everybody, right? And look at this next one. The Holy Spirit convicts everybody. All people 
No exceptions. John chapter 16 and verse number 8 says, And when he has come, he, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the what? The world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Not just the elect, everybody. Look at John chapter 1 verse 9. It says, That was the true light which gives light to who? Every man coming into this world. Christ died for all. The Father wants to save all. The Holy Spirit convicts all. Look at this next slide. And the Bible calls everybody. All people. Let me give you the last invitation in all of Scripture. Revelation 22 and verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, who? Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It is a blessing to know that before you were ever born, before the creation of the world, you were already on the heart and mind of God. D.L. Moody said, that uh, the elect are the whosoever wills, and the non elect are the whosoever's didn't. And I agree with that. So we have this God being on the heart and mind of God from the very beginning. But what else do we, what I want you to see this morning is your identity. What do you have as your identity in the Trinity? First, we're going to look at God the Father. Write this down. First of all, you need to know that you were adopted. You were adopted into the family of God. You were grafted in to that true vine into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You've been adopted in the family. You ever hear somebody, maybe you read a comment on social media and they say something like, Well, we're all God's children. Well, we're not. Only the redeemed. Only those who have trusted Christ are truly God's children, and you've been adopted in, and that's good news. Next, write this down. In God the Father, you have been accepted. And that's important. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Many of you, have, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's wonderful. But you need to know that when you receive Christ, you are accepted in God the Father. Jesus makes you acceptable to God the Father. And to be honest, if you were to look at yourself this morning, maybe you don't feel all that acceptable. You don't feel, you know, you've got your sin and you've got your junk, and you've got your attitude, and you've got, you got your negativity, and you know how you feel about things, and you know what you think, and you know who you are better than anybody else. And maybe that causes you to feel, maybe I'm not really accepted by God. Maybe I'm not really, I don't have this in my life. Paul's saying these are the facts. Look at this next slide. If you've trusted Christ, you've been accepted. That's all there is to it, and that's good news. Now, in God the Son, write this down. You have been redeemed. Redeemed. Yeah, redeemed. Look at verse number 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, I don't, do, you, uh, uh, do you know what redeemed means? I know you were talking about that on the way in. Look at this next slide right here. Redeemed means that you are purchased and set free by paying a price. So if you're going to redeem something, it has to be purchased and set free by paying a price. Paul is writing this email from prison. He is a prisoner in Rome. And he's not saying I'm stuck in Folsom prison. He's not Johnny Cash. He's the apostle Paul. And he's saying, even though I'm in prison, my identity is I've been redeemed and accepted and adopted right by God. 
Now he's saying, I'm in Christ. That's his identity. Jesus, by spilling his blood on the cross, he has redeemed us and he has set us free. When Paul's writing this, historians, it's usually right around 60 million. Historians say there are about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time that the Apostle Paul is writing this. And imagine if you were a slave in that day. This is good, good news. That yes, right now, right here, maybe I'm with Paul. Maybe I'm a prisoner. Maybe I'm a slave. But God has purchased me and set me free free. That's who I really am, that my temporary circumstances don't dictate the reality of who I am in Christ. He has set us free. And because we're free, the question this morning is, why is it here on the first Sunday of 2020, are you still acting like you're a slave to sin? He's purchased you, redeemed you. He has set you free. He has paid the price for you, but yet you're still living like you're a slave to sin. You're still living like you're trapped in a prison. You're not, you're free, you're free indeed. And you have that in God the Son. Next, write this down. Also, in God the Son, we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Look at verse 7 again. It says, in Him, we have redemption. We've been purchased, paid for by price, set free through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, do you know what that Greek word um, uh, for forgiveness means? You, do you, do you, I bet you, you were talking about that on the way in, right? You were driving in. You told your kids to shut it up back there. We're going to church. And you wonder what the Greek word for forgiveness means? Listen, let me tell you what it means. The Greek word for forgiveness means to be carried away. That's all it means. It means carried away. Carried away. And so the picture is this, of that word forgiveness. And, and, and you see this in your Old Testament. In ancient Israel, they would have this thing called the Day of Atonement. Have you heard that expression before? The Day of Atonement. And what they would do is they would take a goat, and they would take the goat to the altar, and they would slice this goat's throat, and they would pour the blood out. And maybe it's one of those fainting goats. And they clap their hand, he passed out, they cut his throat. Anyway. But and so they would take the goat and they would slice the goat's throat, pour the blood out on the altar. Right? And so what this was for is for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation of Israel. This would happen once a year to make sure everybody was covered by the blood. Does this sound familiar? Covered by the blood? And so what you see in the Old Testament, how many of you started a new Bible reading plan of New Year? Anybody? Right, right? Okay, a bunch of Philistines here. Good, good, glad you're here. Listen. If you started a new Bible reading, it's a new Bible reading plan this year. You started in Genesis, almost guaranteed, right? No matter what kind of plan you're doing, you'll start in Genesis. What the Old Testament teach you all the way from Genesis all the way to Malachi is that blood is necessary. The blood of an innocent third party is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. You'll see it over and over and over again through all of the Old Testament so that when you get to the New Testament and you see the gospel laid out there in, in, in the gospels, when you see Jesus on the cross shedding his innocent uh, 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 blood for the sins of mankind, you'll go, oh. And God has been showing you this all the time through his word. There's uh, blood, the shedding of innocent third-party blood is always necessary for the forgiveness of sins. So that's goat number one. You take goat number one, you slice his throat, blood on the altar for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation Israel, but they're not done. There's a second goat. So then that priest will go to goat number two, and he'd lay his hands on the second goat. And what he's doing here is symbolically transferring the sins of the people the nation of Israel, onto the second goat. So he takes those sins, symbolically transfers those sins to the second goat. This second goat is called the scapegoat. The scapegoat. 
And so they take that second goat once they do the ritual and they transfer the sins of the people onto goat number two. Then they kick that goat out and set him free, let him run wild into the wilderness. They let him get away. They let him uh, take off uh, with those sins. Again, remember what that word forgiveness means? It means carried away. And so what we have a picture of on the Day of Atonement is not only the sins been paid for, the sacrifice and the blood, you have the scapegoat. Your sins have been carried away. You have been forgiven. But what this reminds us of when you think about the blood and all of that is how serious sin is. We have this terrible habit of rationalizing our sin and giving ourselves passes for sin in our own life that we never give to anybody else, but we give ourselves a pass because the Lord knows my heart, right? And so it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you, but it's okay for me. And we rationalize our sin. We say, well, I'm better than my neighbor. My neighbor's a jerk, right? My, my crazy Uncle Bob, I see it every Christmas. I'm not as bad as him. I'm better than him. And we kind of rationalize our sin. Sin is cosmic treason. And God shows us how sin, the commission of sin or the omission of sin, how serious it is because it costs the blood of Jesus, God's precious son. Sin is so bad that the shedding of innocent blood is necessary for you to be forgiven. So how dare we as believers, like I've recognized that I'm a sinner, I've turned from my sin, I've trusted Christ, Christ has forgiven me, everything that he's done for me, so how, how dare I just nonchalantly jump into the very sin that Christ died for? It's cosmic treason. When we sin, and I know we all sin, and we all fall short, and that's part of life. But hopefully, as you walk with Christ, that process called sanctification, you're growing, and you're walking, and you're closer to Christ now than you were before. God is working in your heart, making you more Christ-like. How dare we as believers, knowing what Christ has given us and who we are in Christ, Don't nonchalantly jump into sin, the very sin that Jesus died for. It's cosmic treason. Now, what else do we have through Jesus? Write this down. We also have God's will. God's will has been revealed to us through God the Son. And what do I mean by that? Look at verse number 8. It says, Which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. Let me tell you something. I guarantee, apart from Jesus Christ, you will never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, 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 never know what on earth you're here on earth for. You'll never know the why of your life. You'll never know the what of your life apart from Christ. Yes, you, yeah, you could be a, a good person according to the world standards. You'd be all right. You're a good guy. You could be a good lady according to the world standards. I mean, you're all right. You're okay, you know, and all that. You can live a decent life and find meaning in things, but you won't find the meaning. You won't find the purpose apart from Christ. You won't really know who you are and why you are and all of that until you know Jesus. The who's and the why's. You can find that in Christ, but you will never find it apart from from him, and that's available through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Also, in the Son, write this down. We have this. We have an inheritance. Inheritance. I can't wait to see what my in-laws are leaving me. I mean, that sounds like I'm waiting for, waiting for them to die. That was terrible. Can't wait for my mother-in-law to give me her inheritance. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 11. It says, in him, that my in-laws come to the first service, so this is just between us, Okay. It says, in, 
In, good luck with that. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. In who? In Christ. Listen, understand you don't have all of your inheritance right now, but you're going to. What you've got right now is the down payment. Look at, go down to verse 14. Paul speaks of, he says, the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our heart. The Holy Spirit in our heart is the down payment for the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. God hasn't given you all of it. If he gave you the whole load, you couldn't handle it. You couldn't spend it. You wouldn't know what to do with it, and you couldn't bear it. I mean, just imagine a little boy, five-year-old boy, whose parents are billionaires. Any of y'all grow up like that? Anyway, imagine a five-year-old little boy. His daddy's a billionaire, but his daddy dies and leaves him billions of dollars in his will. Now, are they going to give that five-year-old child billions of dollars and just turn him loose? He couldn't handle it, right? doesn't have the maturity or anything like that. But listen, guys, I'm more mature than I used to be, so if you need somebody to take care of billions of dollars, I'd like to give it a shot. But listen to me. A little boy can never handle that. He can never handle that responsibility. So what are they going to do? They're going to give him what he needs. They're going to provide for him, keep that, whatever that standard of living is. They're going to make sure to get his education paid for, clothed, fed, how, all the things that he needs, he's going to have access to. And then someday when he reaches the proper age, he'll receive what? The full inheritance, all of it. Listen, this is what we have in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit in your heart right now is the down payment of the inheritance that God is going to give you someday. The full load is going to be yours. And listen, the riches of his grace will turn into the riches of his glory. He'll give it all to us. That's why the Bible calls us Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 verse 17. It says, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's who you are. If you've trusted Christ, you're an heir of God and you're a joint heir with Christ. Don't believe what the world is trying to put on you. Whatever label the world, culture, society is trying to put on you, what kind of mold they're trying to get you to fit in, you are an heir of God and joint heir with Christ. That's who you are. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, in God the Holy Spirit, write this down. I'm only giving you one thing this morning. You are sealed. You are sealed. You've got much more than that, but you are sealed. Now, what does that mean, to be sealed? Look at verse number 13 in your Bible. It says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In the moment you became a Christian, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Signed, sealed, and delivered, you're his. And he is yours. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You have been, listen, I received the gospel. I trust Christ. Jesus forgives me. He makes me acceptable. I am accepted. I receive the Holy Spirit and he seals me forever. And a, a seal is an official stamp that goes on a document, right? And it's as if uh, the Holy Spirit stamps on that, that seal on that document and says paid in full. It's kind of like this building that you're in right now, our church. It's been, we're waiting on the paperwork, okay, from the bank. Boom, paid in full because it's been paid for because God's been so good to us. And we're going to get that. And when we get it, we're going to burn it. Amen. But we're waiting on it. That, that official document that says paid in full. That's what we have in the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and the, because the price has been paid. All of it. We have that security. You ever heard that phrase? Security of the believer. Once saved, always saved. You know why you hear that? Because it's true. Now, not, not, not this pagan. Listen, some people who have never been redeemed, they get this attitude right here. They think that I've been saved, and I once saved, always saved. And because once saved, always saved, now I can do whatever I want to, and everything's going to work out. Listen, a person who feels and thinks like that hasn't been saved. 
It doesn't work like that. I mean, really, it is once saved, always saved. It's not, you know, it's not never saved, always saved. Because how can you be redeemed? How can you recognize yourself for the sinner that you are and the things that you have done and the sin in your life, how you've hurt yourself and how you've hurt others and the great price that Christ has paid for your sins and what he went through to suffer, bleed, and die to pay the price for your sins? How can you go through all of that and then nonchalantly just think that now you've got a pass to go do all the things that he died for. Once saved, always saved is true, but make sure that you've been saved once. And once you've been saved once, that's all that you'll never ever need because you have been sealed. Sealed. Ephesians 1 verse 14, look at it. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession? What's the purchased possession? Me and you. The guarantee of our inheritance is the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Thank God for the God who chose to love us. Thank God for the son who saved us. Thank God for the spirit that seals us. And we should praise him and thank him forever. I mean, I think about the doxology. It praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. What's the end? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, this next verse, you may think this is a quote from The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, but it's not. It's from the Bible. Isaiah 30, verse 21, look at it. See, when you recognize your identity, when you've been adopted and accepted and you've been forgiven and you've been redeemed and you've been sealed and all these things that we talked about and you recognize that your identity is in Christ. It's not the world. It's not the things of the world. It's not culture. It's in Christ. You are who he says you are. And he says that you're an heir of God and you're a joint heir with Christ himself. When you see that and you walk in that reality, your ears shall hear a word. Behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Walk in the freedom and the liberty that Christ has died to, uh, to give you. Walk in the forgiveness and the redemption. Walk in the fact that you've been accepted by God. Walk in the fact that you've been adopted into the very family of God. You have been redeemed. You've been purchased with a price. And the steepest price that's ever been paid for anything was paid for you, the blood of Jesus. Your value, your worth, who you are and what you are are all according to who he says you are. This is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, again, thank you for your blessings. We're so grateful for everything that you've given us. Lord, help us to recognize that our identity is in you. Not, it's, not, it's not our mentality. It's not our personality. It's not what the world puts on us. It's not who other people want us to be. God, we are who you say we are, and we are Yours, God, and we're so grateful. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. There are those of you here this morning, you know that you're saved. You've done business with God. You have the Holy Spirit confirmed through your spirit that you're a child of the King. You have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit has sealed that in your heart and your life, and you know it. You know that you know. And so our application prayer this morning, what I want to encourage you, how I want to encourage you to do business with God this morning, our application prayer is just really simple. God, help me to be who you called me to be. God, help me to live in the reality of my identity in the Trinity. 
Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up all over the congregation for all of us. All over, all over. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, for the blessing of who you've called us to be. And God, that our identity is found in you and nobody else. God, thank you for our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we're so grateful that we've been accepted. God, that you accept us and you knew who we were. But yet, God, you redeemed us anyway. Lord, you purchased us and set us free, and we've been so freely forgiven of so much. God, and we know who we are in you. Lord, we're grateful for our spiritual inheritance. But God, most of all, we're grateful for that stamp, that seal that says paid in full. We're grateful, God, that the work has been done. We're grateful for your grace and your mercy and your love. Father, strengthen us to walk in the reality of who you've called us to be and who you say we are. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, be respectful of your neighbors. You're here this morning. There's some of you, man, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know that you've been adopted, that you've been accepted, that you've been redeemed, that you've been forgiven. You don't know what God's will for your life is. You don't, you, you don't have a clue about being sealed. You don't have that security. Look up for just one second. Look up, guys. There's just, you know, we call the gospel the good news. And there's a reason because it is good news. But the truth is, it's bad news, good news. Bad news, good news. Look at this verse. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, what do we talk about? That you, If you'll read your Bible, you'll learn all the way back in the book of Genesis, all the way to Malachi. If, if you read through, you'll realize the wage of sin is death. That God takes sin seriously. That a perfect, righteous, holy God cannot have anything to do with sin. And your sin separates you from God. And what you deserve because of your sin is death. Every one of us, we're lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterators of heart. You know it, and God knows it. And God says, the judge of the universe, that what your sin deserves is death, eternal separation, damnation. But, bad news, good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then when Christ went to Calvary, is that perfect sacrifice without spot, without blemish, without sin, and died as your sacrifice. And then three days later, he was resurrected from the grave, showing that our Heavenly Father accepted his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, that when he did that, a free gift that God offers you is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But it's only in him, not in yourself, not in anything you can do. It's in Christ Jesus. Bad news, good news. Bad news, good news. Bad news is your sin damns you. The good news is Christ died to save you. Look at this other verse. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love that verse. There's therefore now no condemnation. See, because there's some of you here this morning, and you're thinking, well, that's good for other people, uh, Brother Marcus, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know, the, you don't know how I think. You don't know the thoughts that I have. You don't know the the sin that I've had in my life, the bad things I've had done. You don't know the bad things that have been done to me. See, the, the good news is there's therefore now no condemnation 
for those in Christ. That when you come to Christ, you bring all that junk with you. And then when you come to Christ, it doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter the labels that other people would put on you. Oh, she's no good. He's sorry. She's a this. He's a that. None of those labels matter anymore. Because when we come to Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ. He'll free you, man. He purchased you with his blood and he will set you free. But you got to trust him. And like a gift. Don't let what others think about you keep you from receiving the greatest gift you could ever receive, and that's eternal life in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who you used to be. You bring your used to be to Calvary, and he will set you free. Isn't it time? Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, no one leave the sanctuary unless it's an emergency. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment. You're here this morning, and you recognize, I need Jesus, man. I don't know that I've been forgiven and accepted and adopted and, and sealed and all of that, man. I don't know. Listen, you can know right now. God desires that all men and women be saved. Jesus died for all, and that includes you. Why don't you trust Christ right now? Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Pray for your neighbors around you. Listen, you're here right now. I just want to pray with you. Listen, I will not drag you forward. I will not embarrass you. You have my word. I will not single you out in any way. But I do want the privilege of praying with you this morning, like those who prayed in the first service. And so right now, you know that you need, to, uh, you need Jesus, and you want to pray to receive Christ right now, in this moment, this first Sunday of 2020. You know that you need Jesus. Would you slip your hand up for just a second so I can pray with you? God bless you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. God bless you. Who else? Listen, right there in your seat, even if you didn't raise your hand, man, right there in your seat, just humble yourself before God. And again, this isn't a password. This isn't a code. This isn't something. It's not a trick. It's just you humbling yourself before God and bringing your sin to him and asking him to forgive you. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? Say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Tell him, Lord, I sin. I got junk. and Lord, I sin. But God, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I received that free gift that you died to give me. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection. Save me, Jesus. All of me, with all the condemnation, with all the sin, with all the heartache, with all the hurt, with all the mess-ups. Lord, I surrender myself, all of it, to you. Save me, Jesus. I just want to encourage you, if you just pray to receive Jesus Christ in this moment, or maybe you've prayed at some other point, but you've not made that decision public, I want to encourage you to make that public. It's, in, it's important. It's what God calls us to do. What he asks us to do after we receive Christ is follow through in biblical believers' baptism. You need to be baptized. Why don't you come this morning? We'll celebrate and We'll schedule that time for you. There's some of you, you know that you've prayed to receive Christ and you haven't done that. Or some of you, you've been baptized at some point, but you recognize that you didn't really get saved until after that. You need to get in obedience to God. You need to do what he's called you to do. In scripture, it's always, I get saved and I get baptized. That's the order. It's a step of obedience. Why don't you come this morning? We'll schedule that time for you and pray with you and just rejoice for what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you just recognize Grace Baptist Church is your church home. This is where you worship. This is where you're fed. This is where you desire to serve. God has called you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. 
And it's time to make it official, to put on the jersey, be a part of the team, to grow in grace at Grace, to serve others right here at Grace Baptist Church. If God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family this first Sunday of 2020, why don't you come this morning and do that and make it official and we'll celebrate with you. But whatever God is laying on your heart this morning, I want to encourage you, plead with you, listen to the voice of God. If you're his child, he's going to say, this is the way, walk in it. Is God speaking to you this morning? Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. Lord, I just pray that your people will be obedient. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken.